Hey guys, welcome to another episode of The Examined Athlete. I'm Clay Reichenbach. From the day I started this podcast, I had created a wish list of guests that I hoped would one day join me on the show. And there's still plenty of names on that list. However, another name is scratched off the list today. Today, my guest is a gentleman named Charlie Curtis. And very early on in the process, I drafted an email invitation to Charlie, telling Charlie what I was about, what my intentions were, what I was trying to do with the platform. And then I proceeded to sit on that email for weeks and weeks and weeks. I didn't have the courage to send it. Or maybe I felt like I didn't deserve to send it. The day that I worked up the courage to send that email, I had a response from Charlie in 10 minutes. We were on the phone in one hour, and I had booked a date for a conversation with him shortly after. So I guess what I'm saying, and the reason I'm telling you this story, is if you happen to be sitting on that metaphorical email in your life right now, I'd encourage you to send it. I can't guarantee you the outcome, but the response may surprise you. Charlie Curtis is a leader of an enormous community that he's built around fitness, around friendship, around support. He is a coach. He is an entrepreneur. And as you'll hear, he's a dedicated husband, father, and friend. Charlie is a soft-spoken guy. However, he carries an enormous message and really radiates kindness it will be clear to you all why he has been so successful building such a large and supportive business and community. And it was bound to happen eventually. It happened on this interview. Charlie and I got about 10 minutes into the conversation before I realized I had not hit record. So we did lose some of what we covered, but I did double back with a bit of awkwardness to set the table for the rest of the conversation. But once I got through that, I think we really created a beautiful conversation. I think we really had a beautiful conversation, an incredibly honest conversation, and shared stories of struggle. Both of us shared stories of struggle. Charlie is an examined human in every sense of the word. He is clearly a physical giant, as you'll see in the pictures I post. However, he is also soft. He is kind. He is deep thinking. He's vulnerable. And he's really eloquent, too, in telling his story and his message. And I hope for the fans of Charlie that are listening, and he has thousands of them, I hope you'll see Charlie in a way that you hadn't seen him before in this episode. Charlie, thank you for taking a chance. Thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing your story honestly. Thank you for listening to my story. Ladies and gentlemen, the incredibly powerful Charlie Curtis. Guys, before we get going, I just want to remind you, if you like what we're doing here, please subscribe to the podcast, please share the podcast, subscribe to our socials, at Examined Athlete on Instagram and Twitter. We're much more active on Instagram, but either one works to keep up with what we're doing. You can check out more about the show at www.examinedathlete.com, and there's even some merch there if you want to support us everywhere you go. I can promise you this, we appreciate your support, we appreciate the kind words, we appreciate the feedback, your support, your kind words, your feedback will absolutely never go unnoticed, I promise you that. Thanks guys. 
again, great to see you, Charlie. Thank you for joining me, man. I've had this on my list for a long time. And I'm going to go ahead and just state the obvious. So Charlie and I were speaking for about 15 minutes and I forgot to hit record. So we're re-recording some of this, but we'll get into it. So your academics were really important for you, obviously, Rice. I'm a little bit biased, but is in an elite university. So you grew up taking your academics very seriously. I did. It was big for my mom and I enjoyed school. I was good in school. So, you know, those two things kind of feed off each other. Being good at it is, is a little bit of reward, makes it more enjoyable to to work hard at something that you're, you're good at. So I enjoyed that kind of everything in school. And uh, so, yeah, again, once I, once I saw how good of a school rice was, that was a huge draw. Tell me a bit about your background. I know you're a Southern California kid. Did you grow up on the beach? Did you grow up surfing? How did sports play into that? Sports. I, I mean, until probably junior high, I did everything, all the sports. Um, and that's when I transitioned over into football, Pop Warner until I got to high school. Um, and then growing up, I mean, we just lived at the beach. Uh, when I could drive and get around, I taught surf lessons in the summer and was there every day after school. And often my summer camps when I was younger were just my mom dropping me off at the beach and picking me up after work. So that was kind of our hanging spot. We didn't, we, I guess we had a little kind of mall that people hung out at, but that was kind of the place to be. Uh, we had different little spots on the beach, depending on what grade you were in. And it was just, that was the social scene was just the beach for us. And again, you strike me as a quiet person, a stoic person. Did you grow up as a quiet kid? I would say I'm not too quiet. Once I get to know people, I definitely can open up more and be more outgoing. But I don't think you're, uh, I think that'd be a first good description of a first impression. We'd be pretty reserved and quiet. You also strike me as a confident guy. Were you a confident guy growing up? Do you think some of that came through playing sports? Where do you think your confidence came from? I think it did. Um, I mean, I get a lot of confidence from my mom as probably a lot of mothers thinks that I could do anything. So that there's some confidence coming from that. And yeah, definitely through sports being, you know, accomplished in sports and, uh, uh, you know, academics, I think gives me confidence. And I, I do think I'm confident, not, not in everything and not all the time, but I think generally I'm pretty confident about, you know, where I'm at and what I'm doing. Let me ask you this. When you came into a place like Rice or a place like Georgetown, did you have any insecurity around your academics? Because I actually spoke about this to a professor on a previous podcast that I was actually not so subtly advised to drop classes because athletes don't do well in these classes at Rice. And for me, for a lot of years, even after Rice, I would not tell people I was an athlete. I would hide it. Even I'd have some of these these Zoom calls, and I've got a big jersey in my office, and I would not show it. I didn't yeah. want people to think less of my intellect. I didn't want people to think less of my ability to run a business because of sports. Did you get any of that going to Rice or going to Georgetown? Yeah, it's it's funny, you know, um, and I, I felt it a little more at Rice, I would say, probably because it's a smaller school, but there's it's such a big accomplishment to be a part of a big this big athletic program on one end, but then there's also you feel this kind of underlying tension of people looking at you and thinking, oh, well, you just got here because of this. And we got here because we work so hard in our school throughout our lives. And we got here on our education merit and no athletics. And there is something to that, I'm sure. So yeah, I, you know, I kind of had my tribe as, as it was, and everyone was on the football team for the most part, or some other athletic program. And that's just how it was set up. But definitely there was a this little underlying feeling that you were only there for one reason and it wasn't, it wasn't your academics. 
now I think I'm confident enough that that I can say that I did both, you know, and I got there. It wasn't for one reason alone, but I still have that feeling about kind of like you said, having your jersey up there, telling people that like, you know, I'm a personal trainer or I am in the fitness industry or whatever I decided I'm going to say I do from day to day. There is, there's always some, I'm, I'm trying to word it in a way that I, that insecurity. I, yeah. yeah. Insecurity that I'm trying to, you know, well, yeah. one of the things we discussed with that professor, I thought he was really eloquent talking about how to treat athletes and how to treat people maybe from backgrounds where they didn't have the the privilege that a lot of people that come into a rice do. But I, like you, made really good grades, probably all a student in high school. I come into rice and I very quickly understand that my preparation is not what some of these kids preparation was. And I certainly wouldn't have got into the school without athletic support. But that confidence I had probably from sports and kind of being a cocky athlete, when a professor came up to me and said, hey, why don't you drop this class? I responded with, all right, asshole, let's go. We're going to figure out this. But we got in this great conversation that if my skin color was different or if I was a female or if I didn't come from that background, that comment could have been taken a totally different way and send somebody down a totally different path. I didn't intend to go down this path with you, but I just was curious if you had similar experiences. Yeah, I would say, I mean, it's probably different. Your experience is probably different because you transferred in to probably higher level classes because you were going in as a junior. That's correct. So you were probably in higher level. Most of mine were all one-on-ones and pretty generic for my freshman year. So I didn't have any direct experience like that but definitely you know i would hear all the time oh you're smart for an athlete or oh i didn't think in surprise you're in this class or whatever it may be and and so there was a lot of that um i took spanish and spanish was my minor at georgetown but even that like oh you know you don't have to take the these classes you know you don't have to do all this stuff and so there's a lot of that which I kind of have the same approach that you do. Like, oh yeah, I, I enjoy that part of it. Like, oh, I'm surprised you did that. Well, I'm surprised you're choosing to do this extra stuff. But like you said, I did have some confidence and I did have an upbringing that lended itself to, you know, doing well in school and being prepared and all this. So I was confident I could do well in these situations I put myself in or these classes I put myself in. But for a lot of kids, I don't think they have it. And definitely you hear that and you get fed that a lot in the athletic program that you're there for one reason is to go play the sport and that's it. Well, you went to Rice, you went to Georgetown, incredibly elite academic universities. Clearly you're an intelligent guy. You took your academics seriously. However, you chose to pursue a profession that's all physical or maybe not all physical, but largely physical. Walk me through that decision. What would you do after graduation? How'd you end up pursuing fitness despite all of your academic acumen? Um, well, it wasn't ever the plan until it was happening pretty much, but I graduated in 2008, I moved to LA and the plan was always to go to law school. So I had done internships in the summer at law firms and worked at a law firm in LA when I moved here. And the plan was to take about two years off one year of just detoxing from school. And then the next year, taking my LSATs and applying and, and figuring out where I wanted to go. So after about be, after being in LA for about a year, I took my LSAT and started the application process. I liked being here. So mostly LA schools and kind of at the same time, I discovered CrossFit. And there's 
gym CrossFit Hollywood and loved it. Loved the people that ran it. Met every, everyone there it was great experience and got it back into fitness, which was kind of my first step back into fitness after football. I kind of stopped, I had burnout and was done with it. So I found that and I loved it on the side. And meanwhile, the law firm I was at, I just wasn't a good fit. So I had randomly a buddy that's worked at Gold's Gym in Hollywood. And he had said, hey, if you ever want to be a personal trainer, let me know. I'll hook you up. You just go get certified. So I did that. And once I got that set up, I left that law firm because I, I just hated it and still had the intention of going to law school. But um, I got more involved with this CrossFit gym and started coaching there and helped a couple buddies open gyms and then just decided this seems like a good lifestyle. Like, it seems like everyone here loves what they're doing They're, You know, I, I hadn't figured out the financials of it yet, but it seems like they're living here. They're doing what they like. They have a great day to day. The, the work-life balance seemed good. So I just, that, man, that was probably in like October and into November found a space and opened a big CrossFit gym in downtown LA. Uh, and that was almost 10 years ago. For me, after my athletic career, I got into real estate and did really well, but I knew probably like you early, early on that I'm never going to be great in this space. I'm well above average. I'm making a lot of money. And I don't know how this is going to sound, but I can be well above average in pretty much anything. And I think a lot of people are that way. However, I'm not going to be great in, in this. I'm, going to, I'm only going to be great in things I'm passionate about, but it was still took me a long, long time, 12 years to really get away from the income, the predictability, and to be honest, probably the complacency. What gave you the confidence to say, I'm going to take this atypical path and I'm going to run with it? Or was it not confidence? Was it, was it you didn't have a choice? You wanted, you had to do this. It was just in you. It was a little of both. It was kind of like, once I got the ball rolling, it was excitement. Like, kind of going straying from this path. And like you said, a lot of the reasons for wanting to go into, go to law school and go into a, you know, a legal career was all those things. It's the money, consistency, security, all of that. So once I had kind of decided that, you know, and I'd rationalized that, well, I'm only 25, I can fail once and start over. Like I had rationalized that it was okay to take this risk and then once I did, it was just kind of survival. Like I didn't know that I, what I was doing. I mean, I started a business, had never done that. I had to set up an LLC that I had never done. And I'll do all these things. I had no idea what to do, but it was more just, I had to, like, there was like, I committed, I'm going to do this. So I have to figure out how to make it work. So it wasn't necessarily confidence. It was more just survival at that yeah, point. Maybe a bit naive too. And that helps yeah. sometimes when starting a business to know the numbers is scary. Well, so you start this gym and like most entrepreneurs, you had some humble beginnings as I understand it. Speak to the entrepreneurs for a minute. The months where you're teaching classes and maybe one or two people are showing up, you're maybe posting something and no one's really paying attention. What was your mindset at these points? And what do you tell other entrepreneurs about that time in your business? So we, we probably had six months till it started picking up. And so the first two months were fine, planned on it, putting in all this work there from the 
early morning to late night, seeing every single person that might come in and ask you a question or take a class, you're seeing everyone. And that's fun for a month or two because your thing is finally open and it's there. But the next three or four months, those were the rough ones where it was, you know, do I need to change something? Do I need to restructure this? Did I screw? Do I need to back out completely? Did I screw up the whole planning? So I guess what I would say, and it's just stick to your, stick to your plan and write it out. You know, you just got to keep grinding through There's ups and downs. There were ups and downs all nine years I was there. So being a little naive helps, like you said, like not really knowing how bad a shape you're in, just push through. But I guess I had, I was so set on what I wanted to create that like, I wasn't willing to compromise and change it. Just, I'm going to write it out. I'm gonna, it's either going to, something will tell me that it's failed and it won't work, or I'm just going to make it work. And I didn't want to be the one to bail. I didn't want to be the one to quit. So, you know, there's a bottom where I just can't pay my landlord and no one's coming and that's the bottom. But until I got there, I wasn't going to be the one to pull the plug. So yeah, just grind out. It's ups and downs the whole way. You You're know? either going to make it or go down in flames. Was kind of, yeah. So there was no question in the path during that time. It was full speed ahead. No breaks. I, I definitely, there were definitely times. And again, it was throughout the whole time where I thought this, I got to change it up. I got to switch. I did the wrong thing. But again, I, I knew that what that was kind of a little bit of panic seeping in as opposed to what I had set out. And I thought about before I'd opened anything, I had a plan, I developed it for a reason. That's what I wanted. So I just knew I just had to keep somehow making it work. Correct me if I'm wrong, but at some point the gym really takes off and you created a successful business, but more than that, you were building a, a pretty awesome community, influencing others. What do you remember about that time where things were really taking off, really successful, and you really felt, you know, self-actualized in this business? Yeah. We're, so we're in the arts district downtown, which was kind of this up and coming neighborhood in downtown LA on the east side of LA. And kind of when we moved in, a couple other small businesses that turned out to be huge businesses were moving in. And that's right about when we really started picking up some, some steam. You know, we had a community, everyone knew each other. We had people coming to classes to be with other people. We had people, you know, giving other people a hard time when they didn't show up. And there was just this tight community of people that knew each other. People started hanging out with each other outside of the gym. People made friends, business relationships, all sorts of things within this tiny micro community that I created. And just outside that was the community of this neighborhood that we were like one of 10 kind of establishing businesses that helped foster all this growth down in this part of town. So it just felt really good to be part of like a larger kind of new intentional community. Like we didn't just plop into something that was already there. All the businesses were kind of like-minded community focused businesses. And so it felt good to be a part of that in addition to having a business that was now running and, and sustaining itself. There's also an intense bond that creates naturally when you're struggling together. You said these are all new businesses. You're trying to develop this arts district together. I mean, that's what was happening inside your gym, but that's also what was happening in the community at large. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the, there's a coffee shop on the corner. I'm good friends with all the guys that started that. Cause like, I mean, we were all there first thing in the morning, there late at night, popping over for help for this thing or the other to fix this thing that broke or whatever it was. And so there's definitely a, a strong community of the business owners as well. So after a number of successful years, it appears from your description of events that I read, the gym hit some financial struggles and this was before COVID. 
put me in the mental space, if you can, of knowing this is my passion, this is my dream, maybe even your identity, but really struggling financially to make it work? Yeah, we, I mean, I'd say probably, you know, as the neighborhood got up, everything got expensive and we kind of just plateaued in terms of our business performance. So it wasn't that it was terrible. It just was no longer growing and it was just there. And on top of that, you know, I've been doing that same thing for a long time. And, you know, at that point I now had two kids and it was, I couldn't live in the gym all day, every day. I couldn't coach all the class. I couldn't cover when people were gone. And so it was just still at a place that it felt like I, I felt stuck there. You know, I had created something and the idea of shutting it down felt selfish to me because so many people loved it and needed it and wanted it. And I could see how good, much good it was doing for so many people. So I was just conflicted with that feeling of responsibility. And then the feeling that for me, I needed to do something else. I needed like, I needed to mentally, I was just stuck in the same hamster wheel doing the same thing day in and day out. And, you know, and then from a financial end, I wanted, I wanted something new. I wanted to branch out. So there were three years of just being pretty stagnant, both the business and personally of just feeling like, I don't know what, where to go from here. And so that was kind of the last leading up to COVID. And again, it wasn't terrible. Nothing was going under. It was just very stagnant. And it was probably a combination of how I was feeling seeped into the business side and vice versa, probably giving both ways, but it just felt pretty, pretty stagnant. So then COVID hits and the financial struggles kind of come to a head. And when I was reading about this, Charlie, I immediately thought of your athletic background and my athletic background, because as, as an athlete or any high level pursuit, we're, we develop this mentality of never give up. It's just beaten into our head that we don't quit no matter what the circumstances are. I mean, if I'm running on a trail and someone passes me, I'm speeding up at 40 years old to try to pass that person. We just, you're not going to beat me. I'm not going to quit. And yet learning when to move on in business. And I don't like this phrasing, but learning when to quit is extremely important. And I'm going to steal your phrase here. Walk me through your process of separating your brain from your heart and deciding it's time to do something different here. Yeah. So kind of going back those kind of, two, three years before kind of COVID hit, I had entertained a couple options of selling the gym. And that was what I had decided was kind of the reasonable approach because I could keep it there for the people that needed it. And I could go on to something else and it would, that's, so none of that ever came to fruition, but that was something that was on the table that I had entertained. So um, in the meantime, I had kind of on the back burner started app development that eventually fell through, but it was a fitness programming app. And this was years ago. And so I'd already thought about this idea of reaching more people to something bigger scale. You know, the gym I had was very neighborhood centric. We had people that maybe commuted in from here or there, but pretty much people live within a five, 10 mile radius. And I had just thought about how I could reach more people and bring something to more people. I think CrossFit, at least the way I was taught it and I taught it was very approachable, functional movement that just, you can move. There's a way to modify everything. And so my, my thinking kind of pre COVID was this idea of reaching people. So when COVID closed, it was, 
excited. The first couple of weeks were exciting. One, just two weeks off work and there's nothing I can do about it. I couldn't do anything. And, you know, my wife was off work. We were just home with the kids for two weeks, which hadn't happened in, since we had them. I mean, so that, that was exciting, but then also the ability, I started doing these live classes and seeing that that's something people wanted and needed. So that became exciting to, to do that, to put that out there for people and to see people from the people in Germany, people in Texas, people in Boston, people in you name it, there are people all over. And so that really, for the first month, kind of was exciting and something that I could see, like the value that I could create to put out there right now and take advantage of people needing that. Like everyone's things closed. So I could give that to them and take advantage of getting those people on board. What was the hard decision was, you know, once at least here, they announced it was going to extend from the first three weeks to six weeks to who knows, you know, that's when I really had to sit down and think like, do I want to come back to this in six months? Do I want to come back to this in three months? And what does that look like? Can I even do that? Can I keep paying rent for six months and have no income? You know, we had members that were willing to pay for the first month and they said they understand that everything's closed. They'll keep paying, which was great. But then that number month two drops and drops. And then, you know, I can't expect people to keep my business afloat when they're worried about their stuff too. And so that it really just came down to me not thinking that it would ultimately provide more good than stress. So I had a time to separate from the gym, from the business when everything was closed and take back what was important, which was a little free time, controlling my schedule, family time, and that feeling of being productive, which I hadn't really felt super productive in the last couple of years. So in May, we decided to shut it down after a string of break-ins that almost made it easier to leave and transitioned and took this, all that momentum from these virtual classes into another platform. I definitely want to get to your virtual classes, but before there, I want to linger on this letter you sent out, which is around the time, maybe a little before that, that I became aware of you because I had joined your online community, but you end up making the decision to close the gym. And I think I saw in an interview, you reported being crushed by the decision, which I know is difficult. I had to shut down a company in 2020 also. So I know the feeling, but I'd like to talk about this letter you released to tens of thousands of people, maybe more than that with shares describing what was clearly a difficult experience. And as someone in myself who has a very difficult time sharing any narrative that exposes a lack of success, the the letter was really inspiring to me. The vulnerability was because it was something that I to this day am not really great with. I'm working on it. So again, I shut down a company. And so when I'm reading your letter, many of the sentences really resonated with me. And I bet others I'm reading from your letter here. One of them was, I don't know what comes next which I thought over and over again. One of another sentences, I hope this isn't the end of the road. Those thoughts ran through my mind on a loop when I shut down my company, just unproductive, laying in bed, thinking, I don't know what comes next. Is this the end of the road? Have I peaked professionally? And that uncertainty, that anxiety about the future was so uncomfortable for me. I want to know where you where you were mentally at this point. Am I overthinking these quotes or did you have some similar feelings of just being lost for a little while? Um, no, I've definitely had that. I mean, like I said, I started that gym when I was 25. So in terms of a professional resume, if you will, or a career path there, that was it. 
So from a personal professional, I was very nervous about what would happen next, but I had just accepted that that wasn't going to be the future. That gym, that, that one thing wasn't going to be for me moving forward. So I had, I was, I had a little piece with the, the decision to close down that gym for sure. But then that piece didn't extend to me to thinking about the future. Like I was very anxious. And like I said, I didn't know, no idea what was going to come next and what the next, you know, iteration of that gym or my career, what, what it would look like. And, you know, combined with the fact that everything, no one knew what was going to happen in a month with businesses and things of that nature. So there was a little bit of relief and peace on one end for just coming to terms with that, that, that chapter was closed and over. But the next chapter was full of anxiety and fear, just not knowing. There was, there was no fallback plan. It wasn't like, well, this doesn't work. I can always go back to this. There was none of that. There's nothing to go back to. So it was several months of brainstorming, thinking, self-pity and doubt for spurts of time and, and ultimately just coming to the realization that I got to make something work well. Now. One of the things that I've told people about people that are athletes that are, that give max effort in everything they do, like you seem to, and I like to think I do, is that there's space between being resilient, which to me is getting up every day, sending out emails, sending out resumes, whatever it is for you, working out at 5 a.m. in the morning, which all those things I could do. But my feeling of loss was around not being able to find that next goal and not just a goal, a goal that rivaled my previous pursuit. Cause I didn't want to just take a path because it was available. There were plenty of paths that were available, but I had just shut down a company. I loved a position I was great in and I couldn't find that next mountain. And I was sitting there going, if I find that mountain, I guarantee you, I know how to climb that son of a bitch, but I can't find it. And that was where the anxiety came for me. And I came across a quote in late 2020 I'm paraphrasing, but it said something the ability to deal with not knowing is far more important than what you don't know. And I wasn't very good at that. It seems you're better at that hearing your story. I kept thinking that to myself, hoping that I would be able to find comfort in the uncomfortableness, be comfortable being uncomfortable. And it seems you maybe did quite well about that. Am I wrong? You seem to kind of be okay in that uncomfortableness and just kept moving forward. Eventually. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd say there was a good two months of not, not feeling like there was another side, not a way out. Like I don't just lost. There wasn't another mountain to climb and I didn't know what it was and I had no idea what it was going to be. And, you know, I'd kind of been three years before just kind of open to the idea of something else coming about. So I was just in my mind thinking this is going to be great until this, some other opportunity presents itself that I'll jump on and be ready to go. And that didn't happen. And so when I had to just close down what was then just kind of my security, I had no idea. There, like I said, there was no, no backup, nothing. But, you know, at the same time, once I got out of the initial month or two of being lost, the uncertainty did kind of drive me a little bit. I liked the, you know, it's, it's stimulating to not know what's coming next and you're lying in bed, coming up with an idea and waking up at five in the morning and doing it, whatever that is, just the excitement was back there. And not to say that that meant I had a plan or a good plan or knew where it was going, but there was some excitement to that new, something new. 
There's uh, something so. about just moving. It doesn't even matter what direction you're moving. Just yeah. get up and move, which is what I've told some people I learned from that experience. I don't care where you're moving, just move. Well, it's also natural maybe to wallow, to ruminate for those couple of months you talked about. I think that's human nature because the reality is it sucks. It's humbling. And yet you did find a way to get up very quickly and start over with lessons learned. My next question is sending out that letter. What did you learn about being vulnerable in front of tens of thousands of people? Did putting your story out there teach you anything that you didn't know before you put that letter out? It just felt good to share. It felt like, you know, I had all these worries about closing down and I heard so many, you know, one of the bigger reasons I didn't want to ever shut down that gym was the the people involved. And I didn't want to let those people down and take away something I thought that they loved and needed. And I felt that responsibility. So in putting that letter out and just here's the, everything I can tell you about it, just the amount of people that wrote back about how, you know, they came in on a trip and it changed their trip and they, you know, someone gave them a recommendation to a restaurant that was amazing. And I met my best friend there, all these relationships that were built or just these small interactions that had such a big impact on people learning about all of those, especially when I posted that letter is people that maybe came for a month and they had, they had just changed their life. That stuff just made it feel, I didn't feel as guilty about it. I felt understood. Like I had accomplished, like that's what I set out to create. And I got validation that that was created, even though I did have to close it just all the feedback made it feel like it was more the closing of a chapter and not something failing. Yeah. And I'm pretty careful with labels. So the use of the word failure, I used to be adamant about saying the word failure and I've kind of learned to be careful with that word, um, especially when it doesn't apply. But even me telling you, I, I don't know you at all, but I was here in Houston, Texas, and I was reading these sentences and I'm going, here's a guy that I'm leaning on. He doesn't know who I am, but he's also sharing and in that way, I mean, literally, I'm, I can remember those sentences going, that's what I'm feeling right now. And for us, it was a little different. We were the number one performing operator in the entire portfolio for what we did. The prices just got to a point where it, it didn't make sense anymore. So we were great at what we were doing and we were really kicking ass. And now it's going, hard work doesn't always win the way you want it to. And that's something I learned the hard way here at 37 years old and that was really hard for me to learn, but it helped for me to see you out there sharing. So I appreciate you doing that. And I want to get into your COVID workouts now. So in the middle of this very difficult time, we're just discussing, you decided to give back and you started sharing your time. You started sharing your talents. You started sharing your expertise and you did it for free. You posted workouts six days a week on Instagram. No one had to pay you anything. Where did this idea come from and why did it feel like the right thing to do at that time? You know, I needed it just as much as I think anyone else did. So, you know, it was, it kept me accountable to my fitness. It kept me moving in a productive direction. It didn't allow me too much time to just, uh, the whole, what was me sentiments that'll seep in. I couldn't, couldn't last too long because I had to do this every day. And, you know, it didn't start every day, but it was like after day one, I was like, oh, that was fun. Let's do day two. And day two was great. So let's do three, four, five, six. And so it was six days a week doing these live classes and just like seeing the numbers build and so much engagement online that kept me going. It was fun. It was exciting. And it, it was rewarding. You know, all the people that said, oh, my, 
I, I needed the, the hour that I went to the gym every day because it was my only break and I lost that. And this helped get back some of that mental clarity that I, that I need. So hearing little stories and things like that, that people needed it, that, that did it, you know, that was just enough. The timing, you know, it's kind of twofold. That's what, that's what people needed in that time. And also there, nothing else that I could really do from a business in, I was closed. There was no, that was it. There was no other option really. So before I closed down, it was going to be an option for primarily my intention was for members. So they were technically paying and that was going to be offered. And that just, it just organically grew into friends and family and relatives and everyone came in and I was like, let's just keep this going as long as we can. So that was, we had those going for a long time. I just stopped my last live class maybe three weeks ago. Well, I'm not sure I'm articulating it that well, but I think that's the lesson there. Again, to just move. When times get tough, you focus on others. You focus not on yourself and you just keep moving regardless of the direction and to kind of add to it. So when I found it, I started reaching out to buddies that were into fitness and I said, hey, check this guy out. And that turned into... Saturday and Sundays FaceTiming for an hour and doing it together and pushing each other. And it's a shame it took a pandemic for that to happen because I had never done that before. And these were guys I went to school with and were in New York and were in LA. And then all of a sudden they're going, Hey, here's my five-year-old. Hey, get your five-year-old and let's let's FaceTime together. And those are the the community you were creating there. Well, let me ask you this. Let me linger there. Were you aware that? saving people's maybe a strong word, but I'm going to use it. Were you aware that you were kind of providing this and saving people physically and mentally from not just COVID, but shutting down a company and relationships where my wife's pissed off at me and all those kind of things. Was that in real time? Did that resonate with you? Or was that just kind of a byproduct you see looking back? It didn't resonate as much as it does looking back, you know, like I didn't, experience it as much real time. Other than for me personally, I had the same experiences. So like needing a break, needing to not think about anything else for an hour or seeing, I mean, same, I have high school buddies in San Diego that jumped on there and just seeing people, even friends that I do see here that I would see them now every day on this zoom class. So there was all of those things that you're describing. I went through too, you know, that's how I experienced it. And that's what I was feeling like, well, if only for selfish reasons, this is great for me. And hopefully this experience is everyone has the same experience, but you know, there were selfish reasons behind it. I, I needed that just as much as anyone else. Like I needed to move and sweat and I needed to feel like I'm giving back to something. I needed to zone out and not focus on anything else for an hour other than this one class. So it was just as beneficial for me. At what point do you say, wait a second, I've got something more here. I've got a business here. I, I need to take this and turn this into something. So we, we started, it was several months in, but started just a simple optional subscription to the Zoom classes. So we started there with like, if you just want to drop in, here's a suggested 10 bucks. If you want to do a couple times a week, here's a 30 bucks. And if you want to do every day, here's 50 bucks a month. And it was all optional. There was still no, no lockout or no way you could not take them. Everyone had access to that link and could pop in. So I put that on there too. Like if you 
finances are an issue, don't just come in, don't worry about it. And so that we started that and that built a little bit. And then at the peak, you know, there are 150 people on some of those Zoom classes and more people doing them on Instagram and engaging. So once I was able to fully disconnect and get the gym shut down, I started just kind of, my brain started spinning again and figuring out how I can make this into the next thing. You realize you had an opportunity there, something you had to grab onto. Yeah. And I assume out of the ashes of shutting down the gym comes something that is a larger community than ever before. Like you said, you were just in your neighborhood is changing more people's lives than ever before and probably a more successful business. And I just think it's great. We keep coming back to that lesson of it's okay to not know. It's okay to feel doubt, keep engaging, keep moving forward be comfortable in that space. And that's exactly what you did, which I think is just awesome. On some level, are you grateful for what happened to your gym? Or is that maybe a little much to say grateful? I am 100% grateful for it. You know, I think having now over a year to kind of reflect, I do think it's something I would have let just just bring me down and destroy my life before I closed it or before I made that decision to do it. It was just, like I said, the only thing I had done, it was a success that I wanted to hold on to forever. And I would have wrote it till it died. Knowing that about myself, I think it could have gotten to a place where I had spent all the money and couldn't, couldn't keep it open anymore. Or we had to move locations and couldn't, couldn't do that. Or I don't know what would have happened, but I just know that unless my hand was forced, I don't think I would have just stepped away. So it would have, and it probably would have held you back from not probably it would have held you back from something greater, which I think I don't remember the sentence, but you said something about hoping that you were headed towards something greater. And I know that at the time, even writing that sentence, it may not have felt that way because yeah. I've been there before, but it, but it did. You keep moving forward. I, I want to get into community with you. You write about community, you post about community, you talk about community, you create community. And I spend a lot of time on this platform on community. I also read about community quite a bit. In our society, even prior to COVID, it's easy for social bonds to be destroyed. I mean, especially when, like you and me, you have kids, you have a job, you have other obligations. The reality is it takes a lot of work to maintain your tribe. And It's clear that you actively or proactively cultivate community in your professional life, in your personal life. What does your community, your tribe mean for you? What does it give to you? I mean, I, you know, it's accountability. It's someone to answer to other than yourself, especially for our, my, my friend circle, my little pot of, of people like they're people that I want to do well for, like, I want them to be proud of things I'm doing. And, you know, it extends beyond family. Obviously I want my wife to be proud of me. I want to to make my kids proud and those things, but even going further, there's other just little things that your tribe can hold you accountable for. And that's for me, someone to trust someone that you can open up to someone that you can lean on. And that is, it's something I need I think it just even goes back to sports. You're you're on a team and the idea that you give up and that would affect someone else is just out of the realm of possibilities. I can give up on myself, but if me giving up affects someone else on the team, it just doesn't happen. So 
I've tried to bring that into my professional life too. And I know that for the same reason, if you are going to meet someone at the gym at six and you don't show up, then they're going to call you. You would sleep in, but if you're going to meet someone there, they're going to call, make you go, give you a hard time for not going. You're going to show up. So they're going to make you push harder. They're going to, they'll hold you accountable. So I've tried to create that both professional and personal relationships where there's some accountability and the ability to lean, lean on and rely on other people is just huge. One of the things that there's a ton of research on is that resilience comes much easier, much more naturally in community. And that's what you're talking about, basically. Perhaps that's why you bounce back so quickly is you had community everywhere you looked. You had it online, you had it at your gym, you had it in your personal life. And I think there's a lesson there for us all. I want to embarrass you for a bit here because I'm going to tell you about the power of what you created just briefly by sharing my story. And I've done that a bit, but like others, COVID was a difficult time for my family. It was a time of uncertainty, immense uncertainty for us. And for seven or eight months, I ran a company that was a critical infrastructure, meaning I went to the office every day and some days on the weekends. And that scared the hell out of my wife. We had two kids at home and she had to watch those kids while she was also working remotely. And then, like I mentioned, we were forced to shut down that company seven or eight months into this whole thing. And that added this whole new level of anxiety. And to be completely honest, it put me into a space for probably four to six months where I was not very fun to be around. And during this time, I clinged to my fitness. I really did. But my gym had shut down. I didn't have any access there. And the only reason I had a fitness routine, or maybe not the only reason, is there's this guy out in L.A., and he's creating free workouts that only require these two 40-pound dumbbells that I had sitting in my garage I hadn't touched in years. And you sharing your talents, your time, creating this community, during what turned out to be a difficult time for you, really saved me mentally and made me, I think, a better husband and a father. And I just want to thank you for that and let you know how important what you're doing really is. And forget about the financial success, which I'm sure that's coming for you. You said your goal is to change people's lives through fitness, and I want you to know you're doing that. So I just wanted to embarrass you for a little there. <laughs> that's amazing. I, I love hearing that. Well, man, I'm going to let you get away. There's one more question for you. This has been just a beautiful conversation. You wrote in that letter that your gym was your identity. You live for it. It's what defines you. I want to know what defines you today. Oh, that's a hard one. Um I mean, I, I like to think now I'm defined by being a, a, a good friend, father and husband. I think I stepped away. That wasn't my priority before. I think I've been able to refocus that as my priority to be there for the, the, the friends that I, that I have and the people that need me and then my, my kids and my wife. And for me, this year has been just refocusing on that. So out external of everything else that's happened. And that to me has been a big kind of recentering. And this last year has been a big refocus on those priorities. So yeah, I would say, you know, before I was definitely defined by that, my gym and that was my identity and that's how people knew me. And I think now it's, you know, I'm a friend and father and husband first, and I have this job that I, that I love also. Man, I think that's a great answer. I think that's similar to what I learned. I, for a lot of years, defined myself by successful financial outcomes, to be completely honest. And uh, those things are great chase those with all you can bust your ass, but 
your value lies in the things you talked about. I think that's a beautiful way to end it, man. Uh, thank you for being a part of this. Thanks for creating this community of struggle and support. And uh, next time we're in, I'm in LA, we'll have to get together and sweat together, man. Okay, I appreciate your time. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for having me. And absolutely. Anytime you're here, come and come get a workout in. Thank you.